0: Hello, and welcome to Heads Up, the weekly webcast and podcast of the National Headache Foundation. I'm Dr. Lindsay Weitzel, migraine strategist, founder of the Facebook group Migraine Nation and chronic daily migraine survivor. I am here today with Dr. Brad Torpy. Dr. Torpy is the managing director of the Chicago Headache Center and Research Institute, and he is also the medical director of the Headache Centers of America. Hi, Dr. Torpy. How are you today? Hi, Dr.
1: Weitzel. I'm doing great. How about you?
0: I'm great, and thank you for being here with us. Today, we have an awesome topic. We are just going to dedicate an entire episode to talking about chronic migraine. We haven't done that yet. It might seem super obvious. We've talked about everything related to it, but we've never just really dedicated time to discussing chronic migraine, why we get it, and, and all these things about it that are so important. And it's such a big deal. There are 39 million Americans who have migraine and about 2.5% of people with migraine will get chronic migraine, which is defined as 15 headache days per month, eight of those having the features of migraine. So I'm going to pick Dr. Torpy's brain about some of the things that all of us really want to know when it comes to whether the chances that we could chronify or we think we might be chronifying, or for those of us who have it or have spent a great deal of our lives with it, some of the things we really want to know about it. So Dr. Torpy, I want to begin with a really broad question. Generally, how do we see chronic migraine at this point in time? Is it that a person has episodic migraine and then they chronify? Do you always, is it always thought of in that order? Or do some people just Start out chronic.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's such a great question, Dr. Weitzel. I mean, the typical scenario, and, and we see this throughout medicine and many different uh, disease states. You know, we have the, the typical scenario, and then a patient would say, Well, well what about me? I'm not the typical patient. So, right. you know, we do know that there are going to be variations, but the typical scenario is that, yes, someone will usually start with episodic migraine, meaning fewer than 15 headache days per month. Mm-hmm. And then over time, that transformation or uh, chronification, some people will call it, but the the transformation to chronic migraine can occur, and that's when 15 or more headache days per month are present for more than three months. Eight of those days need to fulfill the criteria for migraine, uh, if we look at it from a, a really a diagnostic standpoint but again there are always exceptions I mean the typical scenario and I, and I like to share this with with patients in the office because again not everyone is typical but the typical scenario is around menarchy which is when a female starts to have menstrual periods mm-hmm. that's usually when migraine starts to present Now there are definitely going to be plenty of patients that uh, remember having headaches and migraines much earlier than menarchy but usually that's what happens and then throughout the teenage years, let's say or early 20s, Depending on different stressful events, different environmental factors that we'll talk about, I'm sure, a little later in the program, uh, a person may kind of go in between episodic migraine to to what we call frequent episodic migraine, and then ultimately to, to chronic migraine. The natural progression usually throughout a person's life is that she will go through, I like to say, sort of seasons of her life, periods of time when she may fulfill the criteria for chronic migraine and then she might regress back to episodic. In fact, we know that 26% of patients in a given two year period will regress back to episodic migraine. So I like to again say that sort of seasons of a person's life. We also know that during pregnancy, if a person is experiencing a pregnancy, usually the first trimester, that pattern is usually typical. And then after the second trimester, usually migraines go away, but again, there are exceptions. Mm -hmm. And then throughout a person's life until menopause, uh, usually that's when migraine will go away. But I certainly have plenty of patients that are postmenopausal that still have migraine. So I really want to make sure we build into this answer that there are exceptions, but the typical scenario that we think about is, again, transformation from episodic migraine to chronic migraine.
0: Right. And I do want to speak to the people. I don't want anyone feeling left out. uh, men, because we were just sort of addressing women. Uh, I, we can, I could just use my family as an example. I don't ever remember being episodic till I got better later in life through a lot of work. <laughs> I was chronic from my first memory, so it was my father. And now I have a seven-year-old son who was diagnosed with chronic migraine. So I'm the only female, A, so that men, we, we can speak to men too, and we can speak to, there's people who don't ever remember being episodic. So I wanna make sure we include everyone. Uh, but, but generally that is, that was what I was trying to get at is most people that I talk to, to have this memory of being episodic and then becoming chronic. So I wanna make sure we do our best to get across a bit about what life is like for someone with chronic migraine. From your viewpoint as a physician, what are the challenges that you see in their lives when someone starts to approach this number of 15 headache days per month? How does their life change?
1: Yeah, I think it's such an it's such an important point. And with any any new visit with with your provider, I think this is something that you want to make sure that the provider understands what a person is going through, because as the person gets more and more episodes of migraine, the impact is obviously greater. So we talk about a, a term that a lot of the, the listeners and viewers may already know about called phobia. So fearing that next migraine or fearing that next uh, headache attack. And why is that? Because they have to miss so many activities. I mean, yeah. we know that studies have, have shown, and, and I know patients can relate to this, uh, folks living with migraine can relate to this, one in three patients with migraine, people living with migraine, report that they oftentimes don't plan activities. They don't feel comfortable yeah. planning activities because they're afraid they're going to have to cancel. Uh, three out of four people living with migraine report that they have difficulty functioning at work from time to time or you know, completing school projects. And over half of the patients who are living with migraine, 54%, Report that they have episodes and attacks that require bed rest. So I think if, if any of us as as healthcare providers and, and certainly as you know folks living with migraine and allies of folks with migraine put ourselves in the shoes of, of our folks that we're working with. I mean, and we we think about how that how we would, would function, it's it's extremely difficult. And to make matters worse, when the episodes become more and more frequent, uh, to the point where we're talking about chronic migraine or even folks that have daily headache, which used to be called chronic daily headache, we now refer to that as under the umbrella of chronic migraine. But it, it's we think that folks with chronic migraine oftentimes, in between episodes of the, the more severe attacks, don't actually return to their baseline level of functioning. I think a lot of our, our, our listeners that are, with, are living with chronic migraine can relate to that. They don't feel like they ever are truly out of the the, the migraine episode. The brain fog, uh, the light sensitivity, a lot of that stuff can persist.
0: Yes, I would absolutely agree with that, and I can relate to that. You just lose, you just lose months, years, the amount of your life. It feels like just went by, and so, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that. So my next question is: We now know that there's at least. 44 genes, if not more, that can contribute to migraine disorder. Do our genes help contribute if we become chronic, at least to our knowledge? We might not fully know the answer to this question yet.
1: Well, it's a good question. I think the fact that you added yet to that is really is really poignant because at some point we probably will. I mean, so mm-hmm. much has been the the advanced thing, the advancing of knowledge that we've had even over the last 10 years with respect to the genetics of migraine is, is uh, extremely impressive. We really focus on something called epigenetics at this point, when we look at uh, factors that could lead to the transformation to migraine, so to chronic migraine. So epigenetics really is a field that looks at how environmental factors, factors can impact the expression of genetic uh, predispositions or of a person's genetic makeup. For example, if a person has uh, extremely uh, high stress levels for an extended period of time, mm-hmm. epigenetics would look at that and say, well, if that person has chronic migraine, well, then that, that increased stress level over time has perhaps turned on the expression of that genetic makeup in that individual person.
0: Right. I love that answer. We might have that someone with that same gene, maybe it just never turned on. They didn't have the same exposures we had, for example. So I love that answer very much. So let's look at some factors that might contribute to the chronification of our, our migraine. Let's start with diet. Do we know if there are any dietary factors that are related to chronification?
1: I think when we look at actual dietary, let's say triggers, for example, Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things that I think anyone living with migraine has has certainly employed for a a long time is looking at a headache journal or a headache diary to see if they can isolate a specific food trigger for an attack of migraine. So the extent to which if there is a trigger that continues to increase the frequency, then we could argue that that could lead to, to transformation to chronic migraine. But in terms of an actual food that has been implicated that, okay, a person is more likely to, to have chronic migraine if, if this is a food large in their diet, probably not with the exception of caffeine. I mean, we know that caffeine can um, can be a, a problem leading to you know overuse of caffeine. When someone, let's say, has an everyday headache. Most mm-hmm. headache specialists would say if someone has an everyday headache, if they've not cut out caffeine completely, at least for a few months to see if uh, that makes a huge impact on their headache, that's probably something to try. Okay. Most of us feel if someone doesn't have an everyday headache, if they uh, have one to two servings of caffeine a day, that's probably pretty reasonable. But Probably when we think about diet, I would think one of the biggest risk factors is obesity, and that's a challenging subject to talk about. With a person who has obesity and chronic migraine, it can be difficult because it can sometimes seem like we're being judgmental and, and right. certainly that's not what we want to be. But if, if, if we just look at the numbers, we know that obesity is a risk factor for chronic migraine. But okay. built into that, I think it's important that we remember if a someone if someone has chronic migraine or if someone has a headache on more days than they don't have a headache it's probably gonna be pretty difficult to do a lot of exercise. And so it can be a very difficult cycle for a person to be in.
0: I also like to make sure that we throw out there that it's a very high percentage of people with migraine that it causes them pain when they exercise. It's very yeah. difficult to exercise with yes. someone with migraine. I've been an athlete my whole life, and it took me a long time as I got worse and worse, as the pain got worse and worse, to come up with an exercise regimen that didn't cause me a ton of pain. So I can't imagine, if you have not been an athlete your whole life, how to work that out, it, 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 you know, if that wasn't your thing. And yeah. so I always like to make sure people know that you're not alone if if it causes you pain and it's difficult to figure that out so I do think it's a bit of a catch-22 the obesity and migraine connection can you explain just very quickly because it's not really our topic today because I think people don't understand I think if they walk into their doctor and their doctor and they've had terrible migraines forever and their doctor is telling them that there's an obesity connection and they need to lose weight what is that connection do we know why that's there
1: well, the, the theory is that in terms of a uh, causal factor would be, it's thought that obesity can lead to a pro-inflammatory state. And so mm-hmm. when we think about uh, inflammation and chronic inflammation, I mean, that's part of the reason why this is a risk factor for heart disease, cardiovascular disease, right. but also probably migraine. Right. Uh, you know, a migraine, even when we think about status migraine, we when someone has a migraine for more than 72 hours and maybe they would need a steroid or something like that to get them out of the cycle... It's considered a sterile inflammation, so there is inflammation going on. Uh, mm. It's just not an infection. Uh, it's, it's, right. it's strictly inflammation. So okay. we think that probably the the obesity is is leading to a pro-inflammatory state. But you're absolutely right. It's a it's a catch twenty two, and is. I think that you know that's something that we as providers absolutely have to keep in mind. Uh, you know, we want to be motivating with our patients to help them get better, not you know discouraging to them. Of
0: course, right. All right. So the next factor I wanted to look at is, um, are there any treatment or medication factors that might push us toward a chronified migraine state?
1: Well, I think it's an important point. And and Dr. Lipton with uh, Dr. Don Views, they published a study in the Journal of Neurology that looked at suboptimal treatment of an acute migraine attack being a risk factor for transformation to chronic migraine. And so what that uh, says to me when I'm speaking to my patients is to let them know it's important to treat your migraine attacks early. And I know this could be difficult because a lot of times we say, okay, let's not overuse our medicine. We have to put our limits in place. But I think that's why Dr. Weitzel, it's important for our, our folks living with migraine to really have a tool belt approach with their health care provider, with their with their headache specialist or their primary care provider, whoever's working with them with their medications, to have a tool belt of different medications and, and treatments, not all medications, but you know mindfulness, relaxation, and then different medications that they could use as well, so that they're not at risk of overusing one individual medicine. But I think it's important not to be too passive in terms of treating the migrant attack. Because there's good evidence that if we don't have optimal treatment, and the optimal treatment, I mean, the FDA, you know, these days, when they're approving new medications, one of the primary endpoints in their studies is always headache freedom in two hours, or at least getting the person back to baseline. So that tells me uh, we need to encourage our patients to treat treat early.
0: Right. I love that answer. My next question, I think, might be even more important. It's, it's important to me because I don't think we get this information out there enough. We talk a lot about medication overuse headache. We talk a lot about you can take some medications too much and cause a problem. But we don't talk a lot about how possibly the number and severity of our migraine attacks can possibly lead to this chronification problem. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well,
1: I think it's, it's such an interesting point. It's an important point. And, and that's why I think when we're working with our, our headache specialists, or, you know, our, our providers, it, it's an ongoing dialogue because you yeah. know, these are such important factors, all of which can't be covered in just one, uh, one visit with the provider or I suppose even one episode of, <laughs> of heads up. But I think really focusing on when a migrant attack occurs, treat early, but in order to do that, it's important that you've formulated with your provider, a medication that you feel comfortable taking, Right, the side effects are tolerable. If you are at work, you're not going to be able to take something that's going to make you drowsy, if it's but then also having maybe something in the tool belt, if it's a day where you're home, because it's such a terrible attack, and you're not going to be able to function anyway, well, maybe that day you could afford to take something that's a little more sedating if it's gonna give you extra extra relief. But again, that's gonna be an ongoing dialogue. But I think the days of, especially for a person with chronic migraine, the days of having just one medicine that they're gonna use all the time, mm-hmm. I think those days are long gone because of right. what we've learned and all the options that we have. Again, not just medicines, there are devices and also even just natural approaches. Again, right. that tool belt.
0: I, I like to get that point across because I do run across so many people who, if their favorite medicine quit working, or they just get frustrated with the medication process, they sometimes think it's healthier for them to just live with the pain for a while. Um, And I I like to make sure we always get across to those people that perhaps that's not always the healthiest thing to do is just let the pain run its course, because that can sometimes make you sicker or lead to the chronification process. And to go ahead and get into your doctor and find another medication regimen, hopefully, for yourself. So I I like to make that point. Is there anything else that we haven't brought up that can contribute to the chronification of migraine?
1: Well, I think when when we look at uh stress factors. I mean, we know that uh, risk factors, including anxiety, depression, some of those um, you know stress-related factors are, are extremely important. And when I speak with patients, I say, well, of course, if we're going to be using, uh, pre- using a prevention medicine or an acute medicine, yes, we want to be able to employ those, but if there are factors that we can modify. If our stress level is extremely high, if we're we're suffering from anxiety or depression, and we're not seeing a psychologist or a therapist, it's probably a good idea to consider that because that would lessen the trigger uh, Mm. of the stress by being able to, to hopefully better manage the anxiety and depression so that... Any prevention medicine that we may be using may not have to work as as uh, as well or as robustly. Uh, just like if we found that okay, red wine is a trigger for our migraine, well, we can we can avoid red wine. But you know, it's very difficult to avoid stress in many cases. Just like right. it's difficult to avoid weather changes. So you know, we do what we can to to lessen those triggers. But we know anxiety and depression can be big uh, risk factors.
0: I like to say, just vacation somewhere else during the weather changes, then you're avoiding the stress and the weather changes. (laughs) That's my treatment plan. Um, So in general, how successful is the field of headache medicine at treating chronic migraine?
1: I think we've come a long way. I think if some of the pioneers were to, to see what we have uh, available today, you know, the Seymour Diamonds of the world, and if they were to see what not only we have available for our patients now, but what is on the horizon mm-hmm. and the knowledge that's been gained, I think they would be just, uh, over the moon, impressed. So, I think we have a long way to go. I think that uh, the headache field is expanding immensely. A lot of that has to do with the newer treatments that have become available. Uh, you know, quite frankly, Dr. Weitzel, I mean, most people go to medical school or PA school uh, because they want to help people. And for many years, our options were limited what we could offer our patients with migraine. Yeah. But now that there's more, you know, excitement about some of these newer treatments. We know that more people are pursuing headache medicine. More people mm-hmm. are uh, considering fellowships or the the certificate of added qualification mm-hmm. from the National Headache Foundation, which I have. Um, so we know that there are there are more options for patients, but we have a long way to go.
0: Yes, and there's a lot more information out there now. Uh, hopefully, patients are also more educated when they go in with what to speak to their physician about, or if they go to their PCP. Um, there's so much more that's out there for them to learn, to know what to ask about, et cetera. So once, here, this is an interesting question. I think a lot of people, especially if they're newly diagnosed, would like to know this. Once a person with chronic migraine finds a treatment regimen that like, works for them, a preventive medicine, et cetera, do they sometimes get to stop taking that at some point in the future if they get healthier? Or are people usually on that pretty much forever?
1: What an important question, and that's one of the the most common questions I get from a new patient in the practice when when I start a a medication for them, a prevention. They sort of say, hey doctor, am I going to be sentenced to take this forever? And and the truth is, no. The, The truth is oftentimes people will be able to stop the medication for a variety of reasons, but if we go back to what we discussed earlier about the idea that in many cases people go through sort of seasons of their lives, times when they're having more attacks of migraine times when they're not, times mm-hmm. when they need to have, say, more prevention or less prevention, and that may change over time. The other piece is most headache specialists agree that if a person is doing well, they've shown improvement with a given prevention medicine, usually after six to nine months, there should at least be a discussion with the, the patient about, well, you're doing a lot better. Uh we may want to stop the medicine to see if you've kind of made it through that season for now. Um I will tell you from experience, usually that conversation kind of goes like this. Uh if they're doing well and they're not having side effects, they say, let's not rock the boat just yet. Let's wait right. until after graduation, which I understand let's wait until next year. The other piece is over time side effects could develop we also know that migraine can change again probably because of that epigenetic factor Mm -hmm. you know as we as we experience life and its ups and downs uh, a person may find that a given treatment is no longer effective so it can be a moving target which can be frustrating but that's you know one of the many challenges of, of living with migraine
0: right all right. Well, good answer to a question I think a lot of people have. Is there anything else you'd like to add to this very broad, big topic for us to take on today, topic of chronic migraine? Uh, before we go,
1: well, I think you said it. You said it best. And what I would like to echo is that that folks living with migraine are not alone. And in a podcast like this, Dr. Weitzel allows people to realize that they're not alone. Uh, the other thing is, you know, advocating for oneself when you see yeah. your your provider, especially if you're seeing a new provider, and maybe even if you're not seeing a new provider. I mean, one of the best things I think a person can uh, can do to prepare for a, a visit with either a new doctor or even their, their existing provider is, you know, even if you want to write it down, what do I want this provider to to learn today? What is important? For for me for that person to know. And uh, if you get that answer, if you get that out and you share that information, it's going to make the healthcare provider's job a lot easier to be even more effective for you
0: right and don't be afraid to reach out to people who you know uh, have lived some of their life with chronic migraine At what tools did they use it's just it's you can learn so much from people who who figured it out figured out how to stay in their job or or mother their children etc cetera, etc cetera. it really helps to whether you get in groups online and chat with these people or you know someone in your life who who has it. It helps to talk to them and see what tricks they use to uh, get things done and get through life and stay positive. It's just very helpful. So thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Torpy. And thank you everyone for joining us. And don't forget to find us again next week for that episode of Heads Up.